feet and listen to his word. We ask this and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you have seen the movie in which Tom Hanks um, played a a role of, uh, I think it was Norman or Norm... Norman, yeah, anyway, in Castaway. You ever see that movie? And for those who didn't, let me just give you a very quick overview. Uh, Hanks plays the part of Chuck Nolan. That sounds a bit better, doesn't it? Who's a senior executive of FedEx, which is a leading logistics service company based in the US. The story goes that Chuck is returning Uh, from an assignment in Russia, when the FedEx plane that he is on develops engine trouble in the middle of a fierce storm, the plane goes down, it crashes, everyone is killed but Chuck, and he, along with a number of the FedEx packages, get washed up on a desert island, right? Remember that? After four desperate, lonely years, apart from Wilson, who can forget Wilson? Wilson, I'm sorry. You got to see the movie, all right? Okay, we'll see the movie. <laughs> well, after four years, Nolan uh, finally escapes from the island on a makeshift raft. And he takes with him the only FedEx parcel that he did not open while he's on the island. After an unknown period of time, the raft drifts into the shipping lane and he's rescued. And he takes this parcel with him back to the US. And on returning home, He has to come to terms with the fact that everything's moved on. Four years on a desert island, his wife thinks he's dead. They've actually had a service for him and she remarries. The thing that's kept him alive after all these years is the love of his wife. He just missed her so much. And he just wanted to get back to her, but he realizes that he must let go of the past and he must move on with his life. And so one day he decides to deliver that one FedEx package he never opened. And the house, the address of the house is located somewhere out in the country and it's owned by a single, and yeah, it's Hollywood, very attractive young woman. And so he goes to deliver the package and finding no one there, he just leaves the package um, near the front door with an attached note that says, this package saved my life. He wanted to get home to make sure this package uh, was delivered. And so the last scene of the movie truly stands out as a classic. And who's seen the movie? 
Okay, so you're right there with me. So this is one of these classical scenes. And Chuck, having delivered the parcel, is standing. Do you remember? Standing in the middle of an intersection of two roads, which we call a crossroad. Standing right in the middle, and he's examining a map, trying to decide which direction to go. When all of a sudden this pickup comes down the road and does a right-hand turn and heads back towards the house where he's just delivered the parcel. And guess who's driving the pickup? This lovely, single, attractive woman. So it's a decisive moment for him, isn't it, really, as he's studying this map an extremely significant time in his life. He's let go of the past. That's gone. He's dealt with that. And he's eager to move on with his life. But which direction? Which direction should he go? He is at a crossroad, a personal crossroad in his life. What he decides... What he decides will change his life forever. It's a powerful scene. And I wonder this morning if in this building there are people that can somehow relate to Chuck that you yourself are at a crossroad in your life. Chuck made a decision, follow the girl. (laughs) However, for you and I as Christians, what we decide, what we decide will hold even greater importance and significance because we want to be certain that we are in the will of God. What steps will it take that will enable you and I to make the right decision? Now, as I thought about this this morning over a cup of tea, I realized that in any group of people, there will be those who are standing at a crossroad in their life. And that may be a very dramatic term, to describe perhaps something that's less than a crossroad, but never the less. It's a significant time in your life. A decision needs to be made, and you want to know which way do you go? What do you do? On the other hand, you may be somebody this morning who has already made that decision. You've stood at that significant moment, that significant time in your life. And it may have been years ago, but it may have only been days ago or weeks ago. And you made your decision and you have forgotten the past. You've put the past behind you. And there's a new dawn, a new day ahead of you and you're walking towards it. So both groups of people... I believe what I have to say this morning will be encouraged and strengthened 
Because what I want to really talk about is what do you do when you're standing at a crossroads in your life? Well, the first thing to do, and please, what I say this morning may sound so obvious to you that you may be tempted to go, oh, gee. And I've done that before. I've said that to the Lord myself before. As I have sat before him and asked him for direction and leading and guiding. And when it's come, I've been disappointed because I felt that it wasn't powerful enough, wasn't strong enough, wasn't challenging enough, wasn't giving me the right direction. So I hope what I say this morning won't be ho-hum to you. But rather you'll take it and receive it. And hopefully it will confirm and affirm you as to where you are right now in your life. The first thing, the first thing we should do is trust the Lord to lead you. Standing at a crossroad, standing at a significant moment in your life, you trust the Lord to lead you. Psalm 37 and verse 5 says this, Let the Lord lead you and trust him to help. Oh, how many of you this morning need to hear that word? from the Lord. You've got to trust him to lead you. And you've got to trust that he's a God who helps. He's with you. He is there to help you, to support you, to assist you, to give you every kind of assistance that you need. But you must trust the Lord to leave you. Wherever you stand and whenever you stand at a crossroad in your life, you're You're usually feeling helpless and powerless and anxious and confused. Is that not right? And you're wondering, what direction should I take? Who do you trust? Who do you trust to give you the right guidance, the right word? Can you trust anyone? Can you even trust God? Bottom line. I'm shaking my head because I know what it's like to be in this place and to be challenged in such a way. It's so easy, isn't it, for, well, I'm not going to clump you with me because your faith, I'm, I'm sure, is much stronger than mine. But nevertheless, to be in that place where you even begin to doubt the goodness of God and the help of God and the good plans and purposes that he has for our lives. Can we trust even God? Can, can you trust God this morning with the predicament that you're in? Can you trust in his faithfulness and his promises to lead you, to guide you, to never forsake you, to meet all of your needs? Do you trust him this morning? You're the only one that can answer that. Well, the short answer is yes. You can trust him. You can trust him. And the Bible says that if you trust him, he will lead you. How many of us love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with 
all your heart and don't rely on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. I want to tell you, he will make straight your path. If you trust in him, he will make straight your path. Do you trust him? This morning, he will make straight your path. And you're saying to yourself this morning, Graham, you have no idea of the path I'm on. It's not straight. It's crooked. I don't see any straight way ahead of me. Well, I want to tell you, Job's the one who said, God is the one who takes the crooked and makes it straight. And he can make whatever you're going through, even if it looks so skewiffed, God is able to make it a straight way for you. He will always lead you. He will always make the way clear for you. To have God's leading and to feel this confidence in his direction First, you and I must do something according to that scripture. We must acknowledge him. And a few weeks ago, I preached on James and and how we shouldn't make our plans without first committing them to the Lord and coming to him with our plans. But what does it mean to acknowledge him? It means that you turn every area of your life over to him and you trust him. Oh, this truly, you you don't get a, a more exciting, adventurous life than following the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly. Come on. It's a walk by faith and not by sight. It's a walk of trust in the one, though we don't see him, yet we believe. And we are filled so Peter says, with an inexpressible joy. We don't see him. But in our hearts, we know that he is for us and that we can trust in him. And therefore, we're filled with an inexpressible. It can't be expressed. I could bounce on my head up here. (laughs) It could improve it. It would not express the joy that's inside of your heart, my heart this morning of knowing Jesus. It should be there. It's a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we just need to ask the Holy Spirit to stir that up a little bit. So, it means that we turn every area over of our life over to him. And so what's the extent of trust God requires or asks you to have in him? The measure of that trust, all. All of your heart. All of your heart. What stops me from doing that? What stops us from turning every area of our lives over to God and trusting him to lead us and to provide the best outcome for us. You know what I believe it is? And and I, this is from my own experience. It's fear. It's worry. 
It's anxiety. And usually it's connected with the provision of our temporal needs. You want to know what robs you of intimacy and robs me of intimacy with Christ and God and robs us of the joy that's deposited within us, the peace that Jesus has left and deposited within us by the Holy Spirit. It's because I, you, we become anxious and fearful about our temporal needs. And Jesus made some very challenging statements regarding our temporal needs and worries. And you know Matthew 6, but in, in verses 20. 5 to 34, Jesus outlined seven reasons why we shouldn't worry. Jesus taught that worry will damage your health. He also said, and maybe he was thinking about me when he said this, that if you worry, you know, it's not going to help you grow hair. So it damages your health. It blunts your efficiency. You can't, you can't operate at our maximum, as it were. Because anxiety and fear immobilizes us. It it, it just anchors us. It robs you of your peace of mind and of your joy and it will affect the way you treat others and it will eat away at your confidence and faith in God. That's, That's Jesus. That's what he's saying. Worry and anxiety does for us. Remember those humorous church bulletin bloopers that went around? Nothing to do with Mary whatsoever. And now here's a couple, a couple of them, which I really hope might lighten up a little bit what I'm saying. I, I actually f- feel as if I'm really overpowering you this morning, and I, I don't want to do that. Okay, here's the first one. Wednesday, the Ladies' Liturgy Society will meet. Mrs. Jones will sing, Put Me in My Little Bed, accompanied by the pastor. Is Anne here this morning? (laughs) Here's the second one. The service will close with little drops of water. One of the ladies will start quietly. (laughs) And the rest of the congregation will join in. (laughs) Here's another one. This being Easter Sunday, we will ask Mrs. Lewis to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. And finally, this has to do with my sermon. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) Oh, give me a gun. Okay. (laughs) 
Now, God didn't say, the Lord Jesus didn't say, don't be concerned about those things we need for daily living. He said, don't worry. What's the difference between worry and genuine concern? Well, worry immobilizes you, but concern moves you to action. Where are you this morning? Are you stuck, immobilized because of fear and anxiety and worry? Then I want to, I want to encourage you to turn that into a concern so you start moving and not just, I'm not here just to motivate you and, and to get you moving. I'm here to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word that says, don't worry. Of course, you can be concerned, but don't let that immobilize you. And what happens when we become immobilized? We take our eyes off who? Jesus. And we place them on who? Ourselves. And immediately we've lost the picture. Jesus offered God's solution to worry. He said this, and this is um, from the CEV translation, uh, but, but you'll recognize it. More than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. Seek ye first the kingdom. Everything else you need will be added to you. Jesus said, you know, God already knows our needs. First, do God's work. You know, when I am anxious and I'm worried, I become immobilized, so I'm not going to do the work of God. What is the work of God? You already know what the God, work of God is. You already know the giftedness that God has given to you. But when I am so occupied in looking at myself then I fail to see others. I fail to see the needs of others. And Jesus has asked me to extend his kingdom first. And that doesn't mean to say that I go out on, you know, wherever and do wonderful things and miraculous things. It's a kind word. It's a glass of water. It's an encouragement, whatever might be. You see, when I start to take the, my eyes off myself and my situation, I then can see your situation as well. And then if I move towards helping you in your predicament and your situation, guess what? I think I start to pull, I, I, I start to be drawn out of where my own situation is. Well, okay. Beloved, God has amazing things for you to know about him and to experience. But don't let worry keep you from experiencing those. God has amazing things for this church without question. And the more that I am in prayer with regards to this church, the more burden 
that God is placing on my heart to pray, the more I'm becoming aware that God has great purposes for this church, for you, for this church here, and this community, and this nation. But fear and worry will keep us anchored to the, to the spot. Um, there's an ad on television at the moment. There's a young couple. They're sitting in a restaurant. They're having coffee. Um, he's got his iPad in front of him, and she's got a piece of paper. And it's, of course, it's a, an advertisement for a bank. And uh, I think it's NAB. So, and, and they're looking at it, and, and they're saying to one another, if it was a couple of years ago, we'd jump at this. We'd do this a couple of years ago if it was then. And then the waitress comes along and, and they say to her something like, oh, this is a beautiful restaurant, lovely view. And then the owner comes along. Is he Italiano, eh? Beautiful. Is it looking good, eh? So he comes along and he says, um, um, this is a beautiful place. And in response, he breaks into Italian and the translation is, a ship in port is safe. Does it ring a bell? A ship in port is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. That's not his quote. <laughs> okay? That's not his quote. His, that quote is from Ben Azia Bhutto. Lovely man. Never met him. <laughs> But that's not his quote. But you get the picture. You and I are not built. We have not been rebirthed in the spirit to hang around. Where to move. Where to go where no one else has gone before. <laughs> Sounds like Star Trek. That one, sorry. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Because God calls us on. He calls us to do the impossible. He calls us to serve him and to follow him. Okay. The next step is to be thorough in your planning. And if you go to Joshua... Um, this in Joshua 2 and verses 22 to 23, Joshua chose two men as spies and sent them from their camp at Acacia with their, these instructions. Go across the river and find out as much as you can about the whole region, especially about the town of Jericho, which was right in their way. The two spies left the Israelite camp and went to Jericho, where they decided to spend the night at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. The time had come for Israel to face their future, to fulfill their destiny in God. However, the impregnable city of Jericho stood directly in their path. And Joshua knew that before they could move further into the promised land, they must be thorough with their planning. They must be thorough in their preparation. So he sends out the two spies on a recon mission. And without this preparation, they could not achieve success and victory. 
Proverbs 24 and verse 6 says this, Battles are won by listening to advice and making a lot of plans. God does not chide us for making plans. On the contrary, God encourages us to seek out good and wise counsel and advise and to make our plans and to commit them to him. Again, Proverbs 16 and 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Now, my goodness gracious me, we could grab hold of that, your plans will succeed, and we could run with that and bring into whatever, whether it just be in our imagination. What does success mean? I I somehow think God has got another definition of success. Success for us is, oh man, everything's just going to fall in place just nicely, nicely. Good on you, God. That's my success. That's my vision of success. I, I, I think God prospers us. Um, he brings about his very best plans for our lives. Success. Whatever those plans are, let me tell you, if they're God-ordained, And God purposed, oh boy, that's success. I'll take that. I'll take that because my plans are not the best plans. God's plans are the best. So I'll take his, thank you very much, because that will be success. Whatever happens to me, whatever happens to me, but I commit them. I commit my plans to the Lord and I go, Lord, whatever you will, whatever you want, that's what I want. Mm, Let's back up here. Whatever you will, whatever you want, that's what I want. Don't we have a song? We sing. I want to tell you, I must choke when I sing that. (laughs) Truly, you think about that. You and I are in worship and we're worshiping the Lord and saying, not your, not my will, but your will and I will do it. Oh my goodness. That's kind of like an open check for the Lord. Thank you very much. I'll just fill your name in here. We just got to be careful. But we commit ourselves and our plans to the Lord and we say, whatever you will, Lord, I trust in you. Commit whatever you do. Okay, that's what you do when you stand at a crossroad. You make your plans and you commit them to the Lord. Okay, well, look, I just got to finish right now and my goodness. Let me just finish with this then. Finally, you act on what you decide. First, you trust God to lead you, and then you commit yourself afresh to Him along with your plans. 
I can't, I can't um, emphasize enough that place of surrender, that place of commitment. I used to say to your brothers and sisters at Padstow, I don't, it doesn't matter where you are in your Christian life, whatever is happening for you, whether you're soaring with the eagles or you're clucking around with the ducks, doesn't matter where you are at the moment, what God is doing in your life at the moment, what anxieties and fears and worries or what blessings are coming into your life, number one thing you and I do is this. If you don't take anything with you this morning, then please take this, surrender. Surrender means I don't fight anymore. Surrender means whatever you have for me, God, that's what I want. I surrender. I stop complaining to God about my situation. What I have and what I don't have, or this person or that person, or the ministry that others have and I don't have, or this dream that I have that's not coming to fruition. Put that aside, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you the place that we move forward in is a place of surrender. Of giving yourself to God no matter what is happening for you. Okay. And then you act on what you decide. In Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelites office, <laughs> Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. So all the way through, giving instructions. Here they come. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your position and follow them. And the children of Israel, let me tell you, um, it was in flood. The Jordan was in flood. And so it's, uh, the Jordan is in flood because up in the hills, all the snow is melting, everything is happening, and it's wooshka, it's coming down. And you've got trees, you've got all kinds of debris in there, and it's flying. This is not a, you know, JL, can you get the rowboats ready, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's just a gentle walk across the Jordan. This is you've got to be kidding. It's not only rushing down a hundred miles an hour, it's in flood. It's completely broken its banks, as it does at that time of the year. And so you ask yourself, God, why did you bring the Israelite people to that place at that time? Why didn't you wait a couple of months when there everything was calm and beautiful and lovely? That's what I would want. <laughs> I'm a coward. And I have not a lot of faith if I was to look out and see that. But you see, God doesn't work that way. 
He places us in a place that stretches our faith. It, we come to a place where we've got to say, I've got to trust him. Otherwise, I'm never going to get through this. And so uh, the Levitical priests come, follow them. You're kidding. Okay, or well, let's follow them, you know. And of course, you know the story. One foot in the water. Oh, wow, wow. And we're talking debris and, and a current of water moving like a hundred clicks an hour. Washka! <laughs> a miracle of God takes place. So you see, faith is not just a matter of what you believe. You're listening to that, and I'm saying it this morning, and you're going, oh, I believe that. I believe that God did that. But it's not just a matter of what we believe. It's a matter of what we do. Faith leads to action. It's never passive. It always leads to action. I want to finish with this story very quickly. The Apostle John wrote of a time when Jesus healed a blind man in John chapter 9. And Jesus spits <laughs> spits on the ground. <coughs> and um, spits on the ground, makes mud. Right? Straight into the eyes of this man. I mean, for poor man, for goodness sake. And then he's told to go and wash in the pool called Solomon which means one who is sent. Oh, yeah. So he goes and he washes the mud off and he can see. Now, here's the kicker. There's no record of the man asking to be healed. His healing was not prefaced by 40 minutes of heartfelt worship and an hour of Bible teaching on the subject of faith and the power of God to heal. From the text, it appears that Christ didn't even speak to him about being healed. And there was no mention about any request for healing by the man or his friends. And there was no mention of this man's faith. Listen to what he said to those who questioned him. The man they called Jesus told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed. And now I can see. He simply did what Jesus told him to do. I wonder if you're presently at a crossroad in your life. Or you've been there and you're moving on. Then here are the steps that will help you as you work through all your issues. First, can I ask the band to come on back now? This would be really good. Thank you. What song are we singing? Please. Lord of Lords? Ah, excellent. Yeah, see? It all works out, Dave. It's perfect. Inside out would not have fitted. Are you presently at a crossroad in your life? Then here are the steps. First, you place all your trust in God to lead you 
the way that is best for you. Not your way, his way. What is best for you. Then you surrender afresh your life along with your plans to him. If you have submitted your plans to him without surrendering your life first, back right up, back right up, back right up and say, "Uh uh-oh, Lord. And then you must prepare to step forward in faith in the direction that God has shown you. This morning, church, I sense that God has spoken to some people here powerfully and significantly. And as we sing this last song, I I want to encourage you, you come forward this morning. If you've made your plans without first surrendering yourself, you come and surrender. This is a place. Now, is anything special going to happen? No, 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 no. But you make a step. And you made a step of commitment for yourself. You haven't just heard the word and gone, hey, I think God may have been speaking to me. No, I want to encourage you that you come and you stand and you say, God, you've spoken to me this morning and I'm coming here to make that commitment, to trust in you with all of my heart. I trust in you. And so as the bland, you want to guys just want to play and we'll, as they do that and as we sing, And if God has spoken to you any way at all, can I encourage you to come forward? Not for me, okay? But to say that to the Lord Jesus, okay? Let's stand. And we'll worship together. for those uh, that are maybe just still feeling no this this is not the right time for me I want to say this to you because you just might need some encouragement this is the right time 
this is the right time for you. This might be a watershed moment in your life. Now I want to encourage you that you come. Okay, we're going to continue to worship and then we're going to finish. And this is what I'd like to do. Out the front here, we've got brothers and sisters who have come because they've felt very much that this is what God is asking them. And this is what I want to ask of you, that you come, you gather around them, and you ask, can I pray with you this morning? And if they say yes, then pray with them. And if they say, no, I'd rather just stand, stand with them.